1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Skyline. My name is Dan Netter and today I am joined by Patrick Seed. Patrick is the executive director of the Destination Medical Center Economic Development Agency down in Rochester.
0: Patrick, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dan. And it's uh, quite a mouthful, Destination Medical Center Economic Development <laughs> Agency. You got it right. That I did.
1: Um, well, I, I just wanted to start off with a question, a, a question Patrick, to, to help guide our conversation. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go off the assumption that most of the audience of finance and commerce, uh, you know, have a, have a pretty basic grasp of the DMC. Um, so I, I want to start with a, a bit of a different question um, and, and ask you, as the executive director, uh, what do you feel like is the DMC's mission?
0: Well, you know, a great question. And, um, I don't necessarily assume people fully understand the destination medical center initiative. And I think your question helps launch that. And Rochester is home to the number one healthcare system in the world and and full stop, and it is an incredible asset, not only for Rochester and Southeastern Minnesota, but for the state of Minnesota and of course for the, the country and beyond. And the Destination Medical Center's mission is to help support Rochester's growth and Mayo Clinic's growth so that we can continue and this community can continue to serve people from around the region,
2: around the country, and around the world who are seeking healthcare, healthcare services, and and the companions that come with them. And so now that we have you know, that kind of
1: guiding our, our conversation. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how did you find yourself joining the DMC back in 2015?
0: I, I sought out the opportunity, um, when I learned about the initiative as it was being developed in 2013. And, uh, many of your, uh, readers might know of my work in St. Paul on riverfront development. And so I led the St. Paul Riverfront Corporation for nearly 20 years. Uh, of city building effort that used the river as the asset. And, um, but people wouldn't necessarily know. I began my professional career in healthcare as a registered nurse. So I worked, I was trained and, and, uh, went to school and practiced as a registered nurse for 15 years before getting into the city building work in St. Paul. And so for me, what's happening in Rochester is really the intersection of my uh, professional training as a registered nurse and my, um, training and experience in city building. And so I sought out the opportunity because I I think these are, uh, they, they rarely come along this opportunity to
2: provide the kind of impact that we can provide in Rochester. That's interesting that you mentioned, you know, you
1: started as a registered nurse, but, but found yourself in city building. I'm now I'm, curious you know how did you find yourself uh in that uh you know city building avenue of your life?
0: uh well i i tell the story um happens to be true my next door neighbor in saint paul was a guy who was thinking about running for mayor of saint paul and i was new to saint paul at the time and over the fence. We talked about that. And, uh, it turns out that when somebody is new at running for public office and somebody uh, like me was interested in being helpful, I got quite involved in his campaign. Um, he was elected mayor in 1993. I'm speaking of Norm Coleman and, um, he invited me to join his administration first to, uh, lead the public health uh, department in the city, which I, I didn't actually do. Um, instead, um, I was directly involved in his economic development efforts and then, uh, and then we launched the riverfront initiative and I moved over to that, um, nonprofit. So it was a bit of a circuitous route, but, um, but really one that, uh, spoke to my passion and interest around, uh, city and civic engaged cities and civic engagement.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like you said, it seems like, uh, then the DMC is, uh, really great intersection of those two career paths um getting back to your work as the ed at the dmc um you became the executive director about three years ago while
2: in the retirement Lisa clark
1: obviously you weren't an outside hire you you knew the work you were at the dmc before that um but i'm curious is there anything that you know looking back now that you you know, now that you wish you had known when you started as the executive director?
2: Well, I, I, first of all, I
0: had, uh, a great support from Lisa Clark, who was the, um, founder of the destination medical center organization, and really at the early thinking of this initiative in general. And so I was really fortunate to work with her for five years and in that succession planning process i think she was very supportive in intentionally grooming me for um, success in this role i joined during um you know i rather i became executive director at a time of a new council that was elected largely new council not entirely but a majority new council was elected we were still uh, in covid and and uh, working our way through covid and so a uh, lots of learnings along the way with sort of onboarding me, onboarding new city leadership, um, new board members for both DMC Eda and DMCC, all the while navigating this uh, you know, this uh, novel territory of the pandemic and the impact it was having on healthcare on downtowns, on investment and and so forth. so uh, couldn't imagine a more Exciting time to be involved, and of course, you know every city was going through their own version of navigating through through COVID. I think Rochester had it was a special case uh, being home to Mayo Clinic and um, the impact that it had on how they were structuring their services. I will say that we're well not necessarily past COVID. Uh, we are, I think, in a post pandemic kind of environment. And last year, at the end of last year, when Mayo Clinic announced their Bold Forward Unbound initiative, it really is a a milestone that reminds us all that we are continuing to grow, we're continuing
2: to innovate, and we're continuing to be a prosperous, successful community. You know, uh, the reason that we have you here today is because we're here to talk about
1: Uh, The the DMC's you know tenure in Rochester, um, you know you guys are ten years down the line, um, and so I I want to start I want to I want to ask the question, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you and the staff at the DMC feel like are some of your uh, biggest accomplishments over the last decade, and and I know that's a big question, uh, but you know I'd love to
2: hear
0: yeah I, I would say um first of all we have incredible leadership from the board of destination medical center corporation and i just want to underscore how important that is to have that kind of leadership uh, former lieutenant governor tina smith was the first chair former mayor of st uh, minneapolis mayor uh, rt ryback was a uh, subsequent chair and now pam wheelock is our current chair and the board itself is full, uh, com- full of talented, uh, experienced people that bring a lot of capacity. So, one attracting that kind of board to support the thinking and the Rochester's growth, I think, helps complement the the uh, expertise here in our community locally. So, th- so that's one. I think. So, what you're going to hear me describe, Dan, is not in a set of projects but a set of conditions that we are creating that really set Rochester up for long-term success. So number two, I would say, um, our board has um, been really thoughtful about what is our investment strategy and how do we use the special public resources that has been made available to Rochester. And so early on a, uh, development plan was created and unlike, and I've been involved with lots of communities and lots of development plans. Unlike others that I have been involved with, this one is, bo- this one is both visionary and it's resourced. So what we are describing in our development plan, at least the infrastructure investment, we know will largely happen because of resources from DMC, from the DMC um, enabling legislation and from other sources. So we're, we're confident, but we're intentional and we are, I would say not falling victim to change, but, um, being uh, intentional about the way in which our community is going to change. Uh, that's number two. Number three, I would say, um, our board has called on us and called on this opportunity to achieve objectives. That, um, that are important in today's environment objectives around, uh, uh sustainability, um, as evidenced by uh, goals around um, carbon emission reductions and reduction of greenhouse gases um uh, equity um goals around involving women and minority owned businesses to participate in the prosperity that's happening here so our board has said yes let's invest intentionally and we have the resources to do it but let's achieve additional objectives like sustainability like equity and develop the tools to do that and the strategies and, and and the capacity to succeed on, on those metrics. So those are, those are some examples that I would characterize lots of projects. I mean, a billion and a half dollars of new private investment in Rochester in the last seven or eight years. I mean, I can point to lots of projects that are happening, new housing, new uh, hospitality environments. Of course, new medical facilities and our life science innovation district, Discovery Square. Lots of great projects, um, and, and those those are all. But I think what also, and it's a long answer, Dan. But I think the other piece that makes this destination medical center unique is it's not about a single project; it's about the accumulation of many projects, hundreds of projects over time that fit together into, um, a, kind of a whole picture. And, and so any one project I would talk about would be like asking which of my children do I love best? And these, so they're, they're all, uh, individually, they're all, uh, incredible additions to our community. So then which of your children do you love
2: best, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah uh i I appreciate that answer uh, you know you, you said it was a, a long answer, but I think I asked a rather large question so um but looking at some of those things that you just listed, some of those things that you just talked about um you know is there any achievement, be it you know you mentioned issues of, around sustainability um you know that could be you know any of the the Conditions that you listed, or the projects—is—is is there any achievement that you know you look back at and maybe think, "Oh, you know, we should have adjusted the dnc's execution um, in this
2: space." Is there anything like that that you um, care to share? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, um, I think we are in
0: a continuous learning. Process. So that's the other beauty of this being a 20 year time horizon and many, many projects, because it gives you a chance to keep learning from ones that you've done that you want to do better next time. So, for example, uh, community engagement is really important in city building a city development that you involve and, communi- and uh, connect with your community so that there is a sense of ownership and a feeling of ownership that the community has. And we've used many community engagement strategies, and, but along the way, we learned that we were unintentionally leaving some people behind. And what, what, what I mean by that is, um, well, we had lots of community engagement, you know, events and meetings and forums, etc. There was uh, a sector of our community who were not participating and they are people who are um, uh, have less access to transportation, people who, uh, where English isn't their first language, uh, people who are unfamiliar with this, uh, concept of how you participate in government. And, uh, and so we thought, you know, and those are people who are oftentimes most
2: affected
0: by the decisions that are being made. And yet they're not participating in the conversation or in the, in the discussion. And so we developed something that ultimately we refer to as community co-design where we, um, on projects, we try to identify who is most likely to be impacted by this project and least, and least likely to be at the table for the discussion around it. And how do we change that dynamic? How do we reduce barriers and ensure participation? And it led to things like identifying community members by name who are potentially connected or networked uh, to others who are perhaps um, in the connected via the um, disabled community or the immigrant community uh, uh, or, um, you know, any sort of number of of uh, populations. And we uh, have invite them to participate. We compensate them for participating um because we're paying them for their lived experience and we're asking them to do something important rather than just coming and sharing their point of view we ask them to come um, with or presenting the point of view of others within their network so this community co-design process has really enriched our ability to get voices at the table to
2: develop better projects and better outcomes and better community ownership this last year, uh, we saw
1: Mayo Clinic, uh, your, your partner in, in this process, uh, threaten to pull out its investments over uh, a nurse ratio bill that was put forward by the Minnesota legislature. Um, I, I believe K- uh, Kate Johansson of Mayo said in an email, uh, because these bills continue to proceed without meaningful and necessary changes to avert their harms to Minnesotans, we will direct this enormous. Uh, we cannot proceed with seeking approval to make this investment in Minnesota. We will direct this enormous investment to other states. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious. You know, when all of this was happening, um, how have these kinds of reactions uh, from officials at Mayo Clinic how how have they re- affected your relationship?
2: The Mayo Clinic. Yeah, let me just sort of reverse engineer that question, Dan. When, when Amazon
0: uh, was uh, publicly talking about uh, what they call HQ2 Headquarters 2 in 2017, they put out an RFP
2: to um, the country, the cities and states and regions to say, what would you do to host us uh, a
0: multi-billion dollar expansion of Amazon and 270 cities and communities and MSAs responded and said, here's
2: how we, what we would do to be the home to Amazon HQ2. And Mayo didn't do that. Mayo didn't say, Hey, we're going to think about where we're going to put our new
0: expansion of our global headquarters. they, quietly worked with understanding Rochester's future Minnesota's future. And, and
2: by the way, I'm not speaking for Mayo in the, in this, at this moment, but I'm I'm making a supposition. And, uh,
0: by the way, the Amazon HQ two was a $5 billion expansion. And, uh, so really what I think we all need to appreciate here in rochester we certainly do and i think the state needs to appreciate is um, how do we create the business environment that ensures that a corporation can succeed and grow and confidently um, grow in the future and I, I think that was the conversation that was happening it became very you know very public and very controversial uh for, for some I think the governor made clear, he appreciated and understood the value that Mayo brings to not only Rochester and the state of Minnesota, but the, but the country and, um, committed to, uh, supporting a, a way to look at that legislation and approach it
2: differently. So I think I, I, and what I would say is, um, it's, uh, it's not. It's important for us to recognize
0: these are difficult decisions. Um, every corporation, not just Mayo Clinic, but every corporation's making difficult decisions about where to expand and and where to grow and lots of choices in front of them. And we need to be ensure ensure that we are building the kind of environment that is right for that growth. And that's been our goal. Our objective at DMC is to create that environment here in Rochester. And, um, uh, and that others have to play a role as well. well.
1: Uh, did you have conversations with the folks at Mayo Clinic about this reaction?
2: Well, I mean, we certainly, uh, uh, had lots of conversations, um, uh, not necessarily at, in
0: the moment, um, I think, um, uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, more of a, uh, discussion between um
2: mayo and legislators and the and the governor. So not necessarily in the moment um did we have those conversations. Yeah. Gotcha. Understood. Well, um, I wanna I wanna look forward
1: a little bit for a little bit for uh the DMC. Um, you know, you were talking about your mission real briefly at the beginning, um, and you know, we, we talked about the last ten years. So looking forward at
2: the next 10 years,
1: what do you feel like looking at the big picture? What do you feel like you need to accomplish in the next five to 10 years in order to achieve that mission in order to keep uh, those conditions that you listed, uh, sustainable?
2: Yeah,
0: great question. Um, so one is just getting these projects in the ground and completed. And when I say these projects, it's Mayo's expansion, $5 billion. And I think it's important to, for people
2: to put that in context, there has never been a project of that size in the state of Minnesota. There's never been a project that size in the state of Minnesota. So helping Mayo deliver on that project.
0: All the while we're delivering on our bus rapid transit, so the first uh, bus rapid transit in greater minnesota being developed here 2.73 mile line that will connect our downtown our neighborhoods parking businesses and entertainment and environment 2.3 basically 3 mile uh, line getting that built that's a federal transit um supported project um new other new infrastructure bridges and public spaces and additional housing. All of this is happening within a one square mile over a five year period, uh, with lots of partners, public and private and, and Mayo. So one delivering on all of that is a Herculean effort. And we are working with Mayo and the city and others to ensure that we actually deliver on those. Two is understanding what does during this construction and buildup, what does our city need to look like? when the doors reopen or open rather at, in this new environment, what does our city need to look like? What's the workforce development, the workforce that we need to have? What is the, and, and therefore what is the education system, both, uh, K, K, uh, K-12 and higher ed, uh, what's the, um, uh, housing needs that we have to meet? What is the, child uh, childcare and other services that we need to as we're in this growing community. So it's working with partners to understand the facts, the data about what our needs are going to be, and then mobilizing people to respond to whether it's private housing developers or, or people in the, you know, childcare or higher ed, mobilizing people to work towards that. And, and then. There's just our day job. I'm doing all the stuff we've been doing, building out Discovery Square, the innovation district that is Discovery Square, working with partners, um, around the region and around the state, uh, in recruiting companies and businesses to Rochester, it's, um, adding new housing and we have housing in the pipeline and, and working with those developers. So that's really what I, how I think about our work. It's, it's one, getting the projects done it's uh working together collectively as a community to foreshadow what we need to be in five years and how to mobilize ourselves to get there and
2: then just doing the work that we have been doing and, and doing it on a doing it on a daily basis and in looking at those goals and looking at that that vision forward um what do you anticipate any um hurdles and accomplishing Uh, some of those things you just listed well i would say um there's there uh you know beyond just
0: the complexity so i mean it just starts in a very complex place but i think the if we establish a standard for ourselves and let's just talk about the construction uh, that's going to be happening if we establish a standard for ourselves which is how do we uh, ensure that during this construction, people don't feel like they're living and operating and working and visiting a construction zone. How do we rethink our construction so it doesn't feel like you're in a construction zone, but you're in a place that is still operating and thriving and, and functioning? That is, uh, I think, a very high expectation that we're putting on ourselves and our construction partners it has to do with road closures and supply chain, you know, moving supplies and staging of construction equipment. I mean, very technical, I would say level of work. Um, but, but doing that right and getting that right is going to be so important for the, um,
2: to ensure that we continue as a community to thrive during this um, tremendous growth period. And I have one last question for you, Patrick, um, you know, I, I
1: think maybe, you know, I as a younger person, you know, I kind of think about my life in years, you know, we're, we're at the start of the new year, people have new year's resolutions, things they want to improve over the new year. But the the DMC is a, a 20 year project, you know, you have you have 10 years remaining of that. Um, and so real quickly, I'm, I'm just curious, what is it like thinking about um,
2: this project with such a large timeline to it. I think that's a great question, Dan. And, um, it is, it is
0: the, both the beauty you know, I mean, it's, it's a a beautiful thing in that it gives us a time horizon where there's confidence, where we're not trying to do everything at once, where we can learn along the way. But, uh, if you think about it this, this way, when DMC, um, launched the legislative process in 2013, if you were a high schooler at that time, doubt that, I'm not, I don't know your age, but doubt that a high schooler at that time was paying much attention to the world around them
2: and what was going on at the legislature, et cetera, et cetera. They are now 28 years old and in the workforce, wanting to be influential, wanting to participate. So here we are at this
0: 10 year stage and we now have 18 year olds who are not necessarily paying attention, who are now 28 year olds. And we're looking out to the next 10 years at which time they will be 38 years old and they might have their own family and, um, you know, be, uh, fully, uh, vested in a professional career, home ownership, perhaps, or, you know, any number of things. And so if you think about that time horizon, it it really, you know, the life cycle of those involved or those who weren't involved, um, even the demographics of Southeastern Minnesota, we heard from the demographer uh, recently who described uh, kind of how Southeastern Minnesota is going to change over the next five or 10 years. And like, those are things that you have to bake into this thinking that we're not building for today. We're building for 10 years from now or 20 years from now and beyond. That was Patrick Sieb of Destination Medical Center. Patrick, thanks for joining. Dan, thanks for having me. Enjoyed the conversation.